4: Wait. Are you dying? No, no, no. You can't die yet. You haven't confessed.
1: Say it. Say her name. Elia Martel. You raped her. You killed her children. Elia Martel. Who gave
0: you the order?
4: WHO GAVE YOU THE ORDER?! Say her name! You raped her! You murdered her! You killed her children! Say it. Say her name. Say it!
2: No. Ah. everyone. I'm Kristen. I'm Dave. And this is House Podcastica.
3: This week we are covering Season 4, Episode 8, The Mountain and the Viper of our series Rewatch.
2: Yes, we have arrived at The Mountain and the Viper. I hate this episode. I love this episode and I hate this episode. Tough to watch. (laughs) I just want to say welcome. Dave, thank you very much for joining us again this week on our special Thanksgiving special family week of podcasts and house podcastica
3: thank you i am quite glad to be here
2: just for people to know we are a spoiler filled podcast so anything up to season seven episode seven can and will be covered especially in any episode that contains little fingers presence so if you have not caught up either keep listening and be warned or turn it off go watch all the episodes and then come back and listen are you ready to go
3: I am always ready.
2: All right. Well, we are going to jump into the top five. And Dave, as our honored guest, I would like for you to go first, if that's okay.
3: Uh, my number five is Ramsey and Theon's Excellent Adventure. Okay. <laughs> just, uh, I really enjoyed, I don't know if enjoyed is the right word, but watching Theon's continued submission to Ramsey and the Boltons and just how how broken he is. You know, he he tried to put on that brave face, you know, talking about how he's, your, you know, he's their prince, you know, when he goes in to, to, to treat with the Ironborn and just, you know, a little bit of pushback. And he starts to almost cry and he starts to ramble a little bit, but they can't quite, they didn't quite pick up on it. And then uh, the one gentleman killed the other gentleman. I didn't catch their names. And then, you know, uh, the one line I really liked was uh, Theon telling the Ironborn, he will... uh he will be just and fair to you, just as he was to me. And in a way, that is very true, because he did treat them the way he treated Theon.
2: Yeah, uh, he didn't lie, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, the the one thing that I took away from that scene was just how disgusting Moat Kalen was. It was just, it wasn't surprising that everybody was dying of disease in there, given the state of things. I'm not sure how it got to that point. Do you?
3: Well, I mean, in in this world, I mean, it is almost medieval times. And, in you know, cleanliness wasn't really a big issue then. So I guess them living like that, the ironborn aren't used to maintaining castles away from their ships, maybe. I don't know. Or maybe just morale was so low, they were just living in their own filth and disease was just allowed to flourish.
2: So are you saying that they were kind of living like they were on a ship?
3: Could be. Could be. I mean, I, I do know, you know, back in... You know, before modern times, you know, uh, disease was the biggest killer of armies in times of war. It wasn't, you know, swords and arrows. It was people dying from disease.
2: Yeah, no, I understand that. It was just gross. Super gross. Okay. <laughs>
3: it was disgusting. I mean, you know... It
2: just seemed like death was kind of a relief.
3: Well, also, you know, they were under siege for how long? So they could have been running low on food and water and all of that, you know, can help uh, spread the disease.
2: Yeah, it was sad because it was the man that killed Rafe Kenning, or Ralph Kenning.
3: Who was the commander of the garrison. The commander of the
2: garrison, yeah. Uh, he just seemed so relieved that they could go home, that it was all over. Theon looked like he really wanted to give it to him, too. You know,
3: <laughs> Theon's like, yeah, buddy, you're going to get it.
2: But then the next shot was of him... Completely flayed, and oh my gosh, just the brutality of the Boltons, and and really what they represent in their in their banner. I mean, we know what they've done to Theon. We know, you know, that Ramsay is horrible and he's a psychopath. But to to see the full scope of what that really means to be the Bolton army um, and what they do to their enemies and what they do to other people that are not you know, with them is kind of shown here.
3: Right. Ramsay is, you know, Ramsay's trying to bring it back. You know, he's like, hey, this is our banner. We're the flayed men. We're going to flay some men because uh, I don't know if it was Ned or whoever, whomever, but the Starks banned, you know, the flaying of their enemies a while ago. They talk about it earlier in the series. And even when Ramsay flays um, somebody, his father, you know, says, you're not a Bolton. You know, why are you, you know, doing this? You know, it's not your banner. It's my banner. But in this episode, he gives Ramsay that scroll from, I guess, from King's Landing or whoever saying, you know, yes, you are my son. You are Bolton. And, you know, they have that moment. Uh, they have that Mufasa moment up on the mountain, you know, like everything you see is yours, you know. And oh, yeah. I, and I'm the Warden of the North, you know, and everything the light touches will be yours someday, you know. And they have that shared little bond up there.
2: It makes me wonder if Peter has already made the moves, or Littlefinger has already made the moves at this point to wed Sansa to Ramsey because he's so sure of how the legacy is going to move on. And we see them at the very end moving into Winterfell.
3: Right. We see them moving into Winterfell, and it is, you know, kind of sad because we know that they're. They're the usurpers. They don't belong there.
2: Oh, and they're going to be there for too long.
3: What I don't... I I guess what I don't understand, and maybe I'll remember it or I'll think back on it as we continue our rewatch, is they couldn't have made Ramsay and Sansa's wedding or marriage too public because the Lannisters are after Sansa. So if they were like, you know, hey, I'm the Warner of the North and my son is marrying Sansa, you know, don't you think that the Lannisters would be curious about getting her? Or is it because... Tywin's dead, the Lannisters have lost a little bit of their power and their luster. You know, maybe they're not looking for Sansa so much.
2: I think that once Sansa is in the North and married to Ramsay Bolton and living in Winterfell with Ramsay Bolton or Roose Bolton's army, that it's just not enough. It's not enough to go up there and start a war to get her back when they treated her the way that they did in the first place. She's getting more than a death sentence up there anyways. And that's all that they want. They just want Sansa so that they can kill her for Joffrey's murder.
3: As we will see when Tyrion escapes the way he does, you know, maybe they just kind of lose some of the appetite for going after her because of what Tyrion did. They're more convinced it's just Tyrion, maybe.
2: Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe there is a scene that explains that that we're forgetting about. Perhaps. So did you have anything else for your number five?
3: Nope, that was my number five. Just a uh, a real big day for uh, Ramsey.
2: Well, my number, my number four. I guess I'll just move it to my number five because it was that uh, the Bolton's move into Winterfell. So mm-hmm. I think that we've exhausted that because I don't <laughs> like, I don't like talking about them very much. So
3: <laughs> they're horrible people.
2: <laughs> they are. So what is your number four?
3: My number four is Arya and the Hound again.
2: <laughs> I love Arya and the Hound.
3: I just really enjoyed, even though it was such a short scene this week with Arya and the Hound, it was so striking how they're discussing about being killers, and Arya says, oh, well, that's why you'll never be a great killer, because you'll only use steel when the Hound says that poison is a woman's weapon, which, as it turns out, was true.
2: Yeah, that was a nice callback to uh, the murder of Joffrey, especially when they're talking about how Joffrey was killed.
3: Right, and the hound says, "Well, the little shit deserved to die, but you know poison's a woman's weapon.
2: You know what I agree with the hound on this i I don't think I think poison was too too easy for Joffrey.
3: he needed the taste of steel.
2: he needed to die slower. I would agree by a crossbow and then eaten by a boar, and then his head <laughs> on a spike for everyone to see
3: well, the head on a spike is always a nice touch.
2: It would have been nice if he was killed with widow's whale
3: i just I just loved." them coming up to the bloody gate you know they're coming up to the veil and they say who dares come or who would enter the bloody gate and the hound is so confident that he's finally he's like "Ah, i'm i'm at the end of my journey i can you know be rid of my companion he's like oh the bloody hound you know with Arya stark uh the uh, niece to lysa aaron and they're like oh my condolences she's been dead for three days and just the (laughs) look on his face the look on his face of just utter, like, bewilderment and just, <laughs> just what is, like, my life has come to this. And Arya, she loses it and she has this hysterical laughter, almost as if, well, my whole family's dead. This is my last relative. And, of course, she's dead.
2: It, It's, you know, and it's one of those, it, it's another one of those just frustrating, narrow, stark misses. Right. You know, we just had one a couple weeks ago uh, with, I think it was the Laws of Gods and Men um when when John and Bran were both up at Craster's keep, and
3: Bran had to make that choice to not call out to his brother
2: right exactly mm-hmm. and then, and so now we are at yet another narrow miss.
3: Cassanza is up there,
2: she's up there, and I don't know, the Council of the vale i i I'm the not... lord
3: the Lords of the Vale,
2: yeah, Royce and his councilman.
3: Lady lady Whomever and and the third bro who we didn't catch his name, I guess. Lady
2: Whoever and Lord Whoever. Yes, they're very important in the Vale. You know, they know that Sansa's there and they've already pledged that they're going to keep it quiet. But it's just, it's so frustrating. But I don't think that Arya and Sansa were ready to be reunited at this point. Arya still has a ton of story.
3: She has so much of her journey yet to go on. And if she had reunited there, what? She goes with Sansa to Winterfell? Right. And, you know, she eventually just ticks off Ramsay because she doesn't take his shit. And then she dies.
2: Yeah, I think I think it was uh, definitely a blessing in disguise for Arya not to enter the veil. Yeah. Proving that Sansa was probably better equipped to handle what was ahead of her than Arya would ever have been.
3: Sansa does uh show a lot more a lot more backbone, a lot more steel than you know we initially gave her credit for. She really toughens up.
2: So, is that is that your number 4?
3: Yes, and just with every moment with Arya and the Hound, it's kind of bittersweet because you know it's going to come to an end really soon. Really soon, and then I'm just uh going to miss their banter, you know.
2: Yeah, I look forward to their banter um for season eight. But the reason why I asked my number two, I'll just turn into my number four. <laughs> <laughs> uh, since we we're already on the topic of Sansa, which is Sansa. And um this to me was such an excellent episode for her because I think that she went through a transition in this episode. She went from I mean, she entered that I don't know trial it wasn't really a trial a hearing maybe let's call it
3: a hearing okay
2: so she entered that hearing and she was obviously playing a part she was obviously um, going in there to to manipulate the situation to her own advantage but she went in with you know her her hair was down uh, kind of covering her face she she looked very young she looked Shell shocked, you know, she played that part very well of little girl, of naive little girl, um, distraught, traumatized, tortured, naive little girl. And even as the scene ended, she was looking to Peter. She was looking to um, to Littlefinger as I am playing a game, and he thinks that she has that she has his back, when in fact we learn later that she has she's has her own back. And she saved him because she need. Uh, she saved him out of self-preservation. So it wasn't. Into, and she's sewing, and we see her making something. And usually, when Sansa is making something, she is preparing to kind of go into the next phase of whatever it is that she plans to do. And when she emerges at the top of the stairs, she is. She's in mourning clothes. She looks. The part, but she's got the feathers on her shoulder, which led me to believe that she is taking flight. She is taking ownership of her own destiny, or at least she thinks that she is. And she emerges as a young woman and not as a little girl anymore. And I'm reminded of when a a couple weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago, when I had Lucy on, she was talking about how her weapon, while Aria has her needle, Sansa has her sewing needle, and that's always been her weapon. That's always been how she arms herself. And this is really the first time I see her taking ownership of something like that. You know, she uses her sewing needle to kind of arm herself in her own disguise. She is pretending to be mourning. She's pretending to be sad, but you can see in her clothes that she's also taking ownership of her own destiny in this moment. And what's sad is that she's kind of put her faith into the wrong person um, out of just sheer necessity. But at the same time, she has obviously learned enough to grow up into the next stage of what is about to come her way. And I think that without this experience at the eerie, without this experience uh, at the hearing and, and seeing kind of what the world is like outside of King's Landing before she gets to the Boltons and to Winterfell it was just needed
3: I, I would agree that's definitely well said well thought out it, w- it was a necessary step on her journey she had to kind of emerge like you said and now she's you know a woman and she you know she's made her choices um, I had definitely forgotten about this little hearing after Lysa Aaron's death I had forgotten all about it what
2: a powerful scene right
3: really great acting a uh, really great scene and
2: She had me in tears, even though I knew that most of it was crap. (laughs) She had me like, she had me wanting to run to her and be like, it's okay, child, you'll be fine.
3: Just like random Lady of the Veil did.
2: Lady whoever.
3: Lady whomever. So I had completely forgotten about this hearing and the whole scene with Sansa and Baelish. And until the follow-up scene where they have that discussion and she mentions why she did it I was just wondering why why she was protecting Baelish that way I thought you know was it like partial Stockholm syndrome or you know he had arranged you know he had told her all this stuff but you could tell his face his face during he didn't know what what was coming during that during that hearing he 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 didn't know if he was about to be sold out and then thrown down the the moon door
2: it was really nice to see him helpless like really, really nice to just see him have to sit down, be quiet, and just take whatever was going to happen. And what what's great is that, you know, it, it's mentioned after, after the episode that this is where she has the upper hand on Littlefinger, and it's the mm-hmm. only time that anybody's had the upper hand on Littlefinger until the last time somebody else has the upper hand on Littlefinger, and uh uh uh, it's still <laughs> Sansa. <laughs>
3: And she and she made her choice here, basically, the devil you know versus, you know, the people that you don't. You know, she said, well, they would have thrown you through the moon door, and then what about me? I think, and obviously it didn't go this way because, you know, for whatever reason, that's how the, it, it was written. But if she had revealed herself as, you know, Sansa Stark, you know, oh, I'm Ned Stark's last remaining daughter, blah, blah, blah. And then said, oh, and by the way, I saw him push my, my aunt through the moon door, please help me. I don't think they would have treated her unjustly.
2: No, but would they have married her to Robin Aaron and then she would have had to stay at the veil forever? Maybe. I, I mean, don't know. Nobody would have ever been able to get to her
3: there, there, at the Vale. There were no good choices there.
2: Right. But what I'm saying is nobody would have ever. The veil has never been defeated. Ever. That's probably the safest she ever was.
3: I'm wondering if the uh, White Walkers are going to be able to get up into the veil
2: Oh, you think there's going to be a last stand at the Vale?
3: If you're going to choose a last stand, where They have else? an
2: ice dragon, Dave.
3: Oh, they do have a dragon. That's true. <laughs> well, that's what you need, I guess.
2: Yeah. Well, that's why they waited so long.
3: Huh? Well, the last dragon that went there was, you know, Rhaegar's sister who flew up into uh, the Eyrie, you know, and the Young Prince of the Vale way back during the conquer time all right we're getting off topic again
2: way off topic (laughs) um yeah so that was my number four was uh sansa and just how much i love it when she transitions into the next part of her character because she just she's so strong and she's so fierce and the further away she gets from that little girl that had visions of being queen in her head as she left winterfell and, and came to Oh, Joffrey, my
3: prince, my Mm -hmm. sweet prince. (laughs) Yeah. Season one of Sansa just doting on Joffrey is hard to watch in hindsight.
2: But if you were to watch season one, episode one, and then immediately watch season seven, episode seven, and that's all you know of the story.
3: You would wonder what happened to this person.
2: Right, exactly. (laughs) You would be like, you know what? I need to watch the rest of all these episodes just to find out why this happened the way that it did. Anyways, what is your number three?
3: Well, my number three was what happened at the Eerie and the Hearing.
2: Oh good. So we just
3: talked about that. But I did have one other thing. Jan Royce really had Baelish's number when he when he dresses him down, you know, like we know, we know we you know we hadn't heard you were coming then all of a sudden you're married to lisa aaron you know we know all about you you know money grubber whore mongerer you know just dressing him down you know like there's no one to save you you have no friends here just really kind of figured out who he was and then sansa comes you know ruins everything and then he's like oh don't worry we'll protect sansa and sorry we uh, treated you so harshly
2: i definitely agree with you on that one it's so fun to always see little finger cut down by anyone. I don't I don't <laughs> care who's doing it.
3: Even if it's Cersei.
2: Anyone. <laughs> I just anytime that that somebody finds him out for who he is and accuses up him of it to his face, it's a nice fist pumping moment because he's the worst.
3: He is such a snake.
2: Yeah, I agree. Well, okay, so my number three then is little. It's uh basically Egret and Egret shows some compassion in this in this episode. And what I love is that you know, she's just this badass. She's just going through and she's killing right and left. She doesn't care who she's killing. And then she hears a baby and she pauses and she goes through and she sees Gilly hiding with Sam and she's just they're just staring at each other and i don't know if egret recognized her as a wildling i don't know if it was the baby that um that caused her to pause but whatever it was that happened egret became a human long and- enough to save gilly and little Sam and then as she walks away you see the blood that is just dripping
3: (laughs) through through the floorboards through the
2: floorboards which was a great effect because it showed it showed just kind of the harshness of the world coupled with the compassion that can occur and it was just this nice little vice-versa moment
3: I had completely forgotten about their little interaction and Egret saving her essentially I guess you know, I did, I I had forgotten about a lot of this season, mm-hmm. but it's really fun, and that's why it's so fun to do the re- rewatch. So, just a quick thought on that: I did I didn't j- jot that down as a note. Um, so we don't know exactly how long it's been since John ran away from the band of wildlings. But do you think that Egret could be with child?
2: That is so funny because I had the same thought. I had the same thought, but I, again, you don't know how long it's been. She's wearing a big coat most of the time.
3: And she probably wouldn't be showing that much.
2: They were having a lot early. of sex.
3: A lot of unprotected sex.
2: And, a, and she was pretty angry for a while making those spears.
3: She was angry. Or arrows. The arrows. She was angry for a while. And she, all of a sudden she, she, uh, she shows this compassion to this stranger and a baby. So it, it just, you know, makes me wonder.
2: Yeah. I had the same thought. It would have been, oh, man. Could you imagine if it was at the end of the next episode when Egret's dying in John's arms and he like takes off her coat and sees that she's pregnant or something like that? <laughs> I mean, the heartbreak of of the that kind of a moment is probably a little too much. But it's again, it's a nice little what if yeah. that I I also had that same what if. Um, is it hard for you to see Torment? The way that he was in this scene.
3: I wouldn't say it's hard to watch, but it definitely reminds you, oh, yeah, they're wildlings. You know, they're, you know, raping and pillaging and plundering. It's not just, you know, the uh, gentle ginger giant who who's lusting after Brienne. You know, it's not like, oh, it's Tormund. He's he's, he's a fun guy. No, they're, they're stabbing people and hacking their heads off and, you know, just murdering people.
2: So jo- John domesticated Tormund? A bit. Or was it Brienne that brought him down to reality?
3: Little A, a little B, but Jon definitely going out there and showing the kindness to the wildlings, bringing them through the wall. I think that definitely softened them, but not too much. We need their fighting prowess against, you know, the army of the dead.
2: Well, Tormund never lost his edge. We learned that in Hardhome. We learned that. Yep. Uh, in in uh, Beyond the Wall, Eastwatch.
3: Yes. <laughs> the the Eastwatch Seven.
2: You know, the only time that we really do see Tormund, I don't know, I, I don't know if scared is the right word, but definitely. What is the right word?
3: I don't know. It's like a mixture of shock, bewilderment, you know, disbelief. Like, is is this how it ends?
2: Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, if it's how it ends, I mean, to say that Tormund was taken down by an ice dragon is a lot better than Tormund was taken down by some drunk Night's Watchmen at Mole Town.
3: I I just had this random thought. How are they going to rebuild the wall? Maybe they won't need to.
2: This is the war to end all wars.
3: Well, that's what they thought. After the long night with, you know, Azora High and...
2: Then they rebuild the wall. Okay. They did it before. They can do it again. That's true. And then, the, you know, the wheel starts over.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and all of this, all of this starts again because history repeats itself and it's infuriating. Uh, yeah. So that was my number three was just Egret. It was small, little, but
3: okay.
2: I, I thought it was poignant enough to mention.
3: It was excellent.
2: Well, what's your number two?
3: Well, speaking of heartbreak, my number two was Jorah being sent into exile.
2: Okay, good because that's my number two. So we could talk. we we have all the same points this week.
3: <laughs> Weird. It's almost like uh, you know we know each other. Yeah, but uh, it, mine's also just very small. I just enjoyed the scene where. You know, it's just it's so painful for both of them because he doesn't want to leave and he's been found out. He's like, oh, I guess I should have told you, you know, years ago, months ago, however long it's been. Yes, I did initially start out as a spy, but I did save your life and I'm totally committed to you. But he's not the one that told her. So now it's too late.
2: But he didn't get the chance to say any of that.
3: Yeah, he never really got the chance, but he could have. He he had a few chances.
2: No, he didn't get the chance in that moment to explain himself. I mean, she couldn't even look at him.
3: I think it was too late at that point.
2: So I have, I have a few thoughts about this scene, and I want to start it off by asking you a question. Do you think that this was orchestrated by Barristan Selmy? No. To get Jorah out of the way?
3: I think that it was not orchestrated by... Barristan Selmy but I think he doesn't regret it
2: I think it was a dick move on his part because he's trying to protect his queen that scroll was sent to Barristan Selmy from Tywin Lannister Barristan Selmy knows King's Landing very well and knows that this was a calculated move on he played the exact role that King's Landing wanted him to play. That was from a long that pardon was from a really long time ago. Jorah has more than proved himself since. It was not nothing that needed to be dug up. It was nothing that need this this was nothing that Daenerys needed while Astapor and Young are being dealt with while she's trying to gain control of Marine. I'm not saying that Barristan is on King's Landing's side. I think that Barristan wanting to be her sole confider and his pride got in the way of the bigger picture of what Daenerys was trying to accomplish in Marine. and sending Jorah away was a huge, huge risk.
3: I agree with pretty much all of that. I mean, it wasn't necessary. It it definitely wasn't needed at the time to send him away when there was so much going on and, and Daenerys didn't need the distraction, but at the same time, you know, he is who he is, you know, an honorable man. He went to Jorah first and said, Hey, this came, you know, I wanted to tell you first. And then he told her because he's honorable and thought that she needed to know it. And at the same time, he's doing exactly what Tywin knew that he would do.
2: But he didn't because even he's set give, in his ways, but he didn't even give Jorah the opportunity to talk to Daenerys about it. He told Daenerys about it, and and kind of let that fester and let that build up. It proves that he doesn't know Daenerys very well either because she is a Targaryen and she's hot-headed. And while she's very compassionate and um, her mind can be changed and, and she's very kind, she is ruthless. and And she is vengeful. And there was a very good chance that she could have killed him right then and there. I think
3: she knew that the worst punishment for him wasn't death. It was to be sent away.
2: Maybe Daenerys did, but I don't think Barristan knew that. I'm just saying it was, it wasn't, I don't think it was the right move. And I think it, I think that Barristan's pride just got in the way of the entire thing. I don't
3: know if I would call it pride. uh, Definitely his sense of, ego. I don't know if it's chivalry or like I'm a knight or I'm, you know, whatever. And this is what I have to do. My honor dictates that I pass this message along to protect her and let her make the decision. I don't know.
2: Yeah but i mean he also saw what honor where honor got Ned Stark. Yeah. I don't know. I mean it was just something that crossed my mind as we watched it. It's the first time i've ever thought that in all of the rewatches was why on earth would Berrison do that. And and it wasn't until Daenerys said this pardon was from the year that we met. And Jorah was right. Jorah said this is a, this is a move from from tywin lannister he mm-hmm. wants he wants this infighting he wants it to happen and Barrison selmy is their newest recruit from king's landing why she didn't see that this i look i'm not saying that Barrison selmy is is um a spy or that there's anything wrong with his honor or his code. I think that he is devoted to Daenerys, but I think that he has too much King's Landing left in him and he's still playing a King's Landing game in Essos.
3: I think he's still trying to, pre- to protect Daenerys. And he thinks that maybe because Jorah sold her out once, he may be tempted to do so again.
2: I would expect Barristan Selmy to sell her out way before Jorah Mormont ever would.
3: Well, right. Us the the book readers and show watchers knowing what we know. But you know, if you're in, in Barris and Selmy's shoes, you know, maybe you don't see him but, in the same light.
2: But even at that point, even at that point. I mean, I look, what we know, even all the way to season seven, episode seven, we know we know Jorah's devotion to Daenerys. But even at this point, in season four, episode eight. We know Jorah's devotion to Daenerys. To take that away from Daenerys, to take that relationship away from Daenerys, I think that it's the start of kind of her floundering in Marine. I mean, she starts to really, I mean, she, you know marries his dar gets intended to his dar and you know she she, the sons of the harpy kind of bleed their way in and gray worm is almost killed barristin is killed um you know she has to lock up her dragons and drogon goes missing i mean a lot starts to go wrong in marine after she sends jorah away jorah was her stabilizer
3: it was an excellent move by tywin
2: yeah that barristin executed Exactly the way that Tywin knew would happen. Oh, I can't wait for that Cretan to die.
3: (laughs) Oh, Tywin Lannister's a lot of things, but he's not a Cretan.
2: Yes, he's a Cretan.
3: He's very intelligent. He's a (laughs) Cretan. Agree to disagree.
2: (laughs) Anyways, okay, so that, yeah, that was my number two. So what was your number one?
3: Well, we all know what both of our number ones are.
2: Well, there's no other number one. (laughs) Okay, Uh, first of all, before, before we say anything... Both of us, both of us still had a visceral reaction to the head explosion.
3: I had forgotten how gruesome that really was. Quite, quite gruesome, just like a, the uh, splattering of a grape. Ugh. <laughs> you shouted out loud.
2: I did. I did. I couldn't even watch it. I watched it. I watched it from the ceiling in my memory. <laughs>
3: Be, uh, before we get into the problem with monologuing, just uh, the little bit, you know, so all of, you know, Tyrion in the uh, cell with Jaime mm-hmm. before the Viper meets the mountain, you know, I just loved all that, like, brotherly banter where he's like, the Red Viper of Dorne, you don't get that name unless you're good, right? You know? <laughs>
2: And <laughs> he's, he's gonna looking like, I'm going to die. <laughs> and he's looking
3: for a little like reassure like a little reassurance from his brother and James is like, "No, I've never seen him fight." It's like, "Thanks, you know. You just lie to me. Tell me he's great, you know."
2: Yeah, tell me I'm pretty even when I look hungover. Like, "Come on, dude."
3: Oh, uh, this is so funny. I just enjoyed that. And then the uh the uh story about their simple cousins squashing beetles, you know, like, "Uh, oh, you know, the simple-headed cousin, you know, the moron and uh Tyrion has that great line about, you know, there's there's a lot written about kings, but not nearly enough written about morons. And yeah, that
2: was really great.
3: And he's just talking about him squashing the Beatles, and I'm wondering, like in his mind, you know, is he equating the mountain to that cousin, and he's the beetle, like he's about to get squashed?
2: Well, in the this mountain whole thing? has no brains about him. I mean, the guy only knows he's like a one-note piano player. He has literally one note that he plays, and that's kill, 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 kill. He's-
3: He's kind of like uh, the Terminator in the first Terminator where, you know, before he becomes, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, it's still him. But, you know, there's that great line about he can't be reasoned with, he can't be whatever, you know, he's just he's coming after you. He's relentless. And that's all he does is he kills.
2: Right. And there's I mean, but even when it's the Mountain and Oberyn fighting each other, the Mountain is only I mean, I, I think it's a style of fighting called um a, a drunken brawl or something like that. The way um he was fighting was just... It's like a smash and grab. I mean, he pulls out his huge sword and he just slashes around. Yeah,
3: he swings as as hard as he can at the person in front of him and usually works because he's pretty big.
2: Right. There's no skill involved, I guess, is what I'm saying.
3: It's like they say, you can't teach size.
2: Right. I And I understand that. I It's just... It's frustrating because he only knows how to kill people... Because it seems to be the only thing that he does. Because there's nothing else to do with his size, and he's got all this anger in him for whatever reason. It's exactly, it's exactly as Tyrion was saying. It's why does why why is he killing the beetles? Why? Mm-hmm. Like it has consumed my thoughts, and I'm sure that it has consumed Tyrion's thoughts in his cell of. Why is the Mountain the way that he is? How can he be defeated? What causes him to kill people the way that he does, much like his cousin? Which causes my cousin to just kill the Beatles over and (laughs) over and over again, right? And it's true. I mean, they're both kind of morons.
3: Yeah, I mean, we don't really know much about the Mountain. He never really gets a chance to, you know, further his character thus far. You know, season seven, episode seven. But, you know, he doesn't really say much anymore. And now... And now that he's, uh, you know, the mountain behind the mask, you know, he doesn't really talk much anymore. So we never really find out if he is intelligent, but probably not.
2: Well, all, the only thing that we know about the mountain is what Sandor has told us. Mm-hmm. And none of it's good.
3: <laughs> no.
2: There, he's just, he's the one character that doesn't really, he's not a character. He's just he's like... A,
3: he's a caricature.
2: I mean, he's a weapon. He's a weapon. Yeah, and he's Cersei's weapon. I think the worst part about this entire trial by combat was the joy on Cersei's face and the cavalier way that Tywin condemned his son to death.
3: He's like, oh, the 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 gods have spoken. But speaking of looks on faces, how about the look on Jaime's face when the viper is winning for a bit and he's slashing and he hits... And hits the mountain, and Jamie's up on the day, as little like looking around, like you guys seeing this
2: shit. <laughs> no, he he <laughs> was so impressed and just in thoroughly enjoying himself. And his brother was being saved while
3: exactly this
2: guy was fighting. You know, if he just didn't get cocky. Ah, oh,
3: you you got me monologuing uh, again with the monologuing.
2: Well, his sword wasn't nearby, and. Even if he just didn't step so close to him, you know? I mean, his arms were out. Like, at least get out of arm's reach of him, you step know? Up
3: a, step up above his head or by his feet. Maybe, maybe stab him a few more times, you know, before.
2: Yeah, get a spear. Stab one hand. Get another spear. Stab the other hand. He's still alive. He can still talk.
3: At the time, we didn't know what was going to happen. And now we do know. So it's a lot of Monday morning uh, quarterbacking. I don't care. Monday morning Sword sword fighting, I guess, but still, I mean, <laughs> he definitely should not have done that. But it's just, oh, it's it's Lucy and the damn football again, just snatching it away.
2: This one was a big one. I agree, It was a big one. But what a powerful scene! What I mean, just every emotion is swelling in you when he's pointing at Ty, when he's, and like, he's like, "Who like, gave the order? He's like, oh, you raped
0: her, you murdered her. Who gave the
3: order?" And he's and you and you know. Be, during during the first view, and you're like, oh, he's gonna win. Tyrion is gonna be saved. He's gonna go after Tywin. You know, he's like rallying up, you know, the people of King's Landing, all the people in the crowd. You know, and he's like, oh, who did it? I'm gonna get you. You know, and then smash, splat.
2: And then there was the part where he looks down at the mountain and he says, oh, you're dying. You can't die yet. There's no dying. Like,
3: yeah, you haven't confessed yet. You can't die.
2: It was wonderful. It was that whole fight was wonderful, and then you know they kept. They, when he lost the first spear, the other one was thrown at him. And mm-hmm. before the fight, you see his man is oiling the spear, and you're like, "Oh, there's the poison. The poison's on there." And you don't even find out that that spear was poisoned until the next episode when they're trying to resurrect him.
3: I did enjoy Tyrion's coaching before the fight. He's like, "Armor's a little light. You sh- you shouldn't be drinking," you know. And Ober makes an excellent point. Oh, you learned this from all of your fighting that you do, you know?
2: Right. He's like, if I want to have sex with my woman right here in front of everybody before I fight, I'm gonna do that too.
3: And, uh, and I'm gonna get a, a, a two beer buzz on. Because yep. that's how I fight.
2: Poor Laria, having to watch that. I oh man, I just it like it popped. His head just popped like a balloon L- like a zit and Anne, the mountain says i did kill her and i did rape her and, and i smashed her head like this bam and he's screaming oh it's hard it's hard to it's hard to even
3: it's hard to talk about. about yeah
2: <laughs> and yet here we are talking about
3: just it. breaking down the game film
2: <laughs> oh that was really rough yeah that was one of those red wedding rough episodes
3: i really didn't want to rewatch it like I didn't want to rewatch the red wedding, so I didn't. I just kind of read about it, yeah. you know, and and listen to the podcast. And this one, I thought, ah, it's rough, but I'll just go ahead and watch it. You're like, oh no, it's worse than I remembered.
2: <laughs> you know, the best thing about this episode, though, is that there's so much that's going on besides the trial. So you, you forget know, it's coming. What, yeah, I mean, you know, Sansa has this really great arc. In this episode there's a big battle at Mole Town there's um you know Arya and the Hound have their little moments you've got the Boltons moving into Winterfell and Theon pretending to be Theon and The Vale Right and and uh, and then everything that's going on in Marine with Jorah and Barristan and and uh kind of the the divisiveness that's happening there and then after all of that now you have this trial by combat and that's somehow overshadows the rest of the episode. Mm-hmm. Because when we sat down to watch it I said, I don't even know what's going on in the rest of this episode in like in my memory. Right. You know? And
3: then we don't even get to the trauma combat until, you know, we've gone through fifty two minutes Right. fifty something minutes of show.
2: Right. It's just a rough a rough ending and um you know, kind of the repercussions of that fuels Alaria Sands story mm-hmm. and what she does what she's going to do to Cersei by killing Marcella. And joining up with uh, Daenerys, trying to... Tyrells, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to see what happens with Alaria after this.
3: Yeah, Oberyn's death really—it's a small stone, you know, in a pond causing a ripple. You know, because of this, Jaime's going to try to free Tyrion. And then then Tyrion's Tyrion's going to do what he's going to do, and you know, so many things. Tyrion ends up in Essos.
2: Yeah, Oberyn's death really is kind of a jumping off point for some major plot points in the future.
3: The Mountain becomes a zombie cosplayer.
2: Okay, so do you have any notes?
3: Just a couple. One I really liked was uh, how Dolorous Ed became the voice of optimism for once <laughs> when they're all sitting around and Sam is like, oh, she's dead, talking about the events of Moletown, and he says, you know, may- maybe she got out. And just And like you were saying, just that group of guys, you know, with Grin... Pip. Grand,
1: yeah, Gren, Grand,
3: Pip. Grand, Pip, Ed, John, Sam. That's a good bunch of dudes. They
2: they were the heart of Castle Black. They were the guys that got shit done, you know? Um,
3: Gren's death, I'm still not looking... I'm really not look, look, looking forward to. This
2: next episode. Um, still a great moment. Yes, absolutely. I, I completely agree. But who was it? One of them... Listed out everything that Gilly has been through and everything that Gilly has survived.
3: That was Pip, I think. Or was it Grin?
2: I think it it could have been all of them just kind of chiming in to help Sam. But it was really remarkable.
3: She's been through some shit.
2: (laughs) I mean, once you list out everything that Gilly has been through... It's no surprise that she made it through the attack on Moletown. It's yeah. no surprise that she made it back to Castle Black. It's no surprise that she's still alive and well, and so is her kid. You know, she is and, uh... a survivor. Even in the even when we first meet her, she's already trying to like back channel her way out of Craster. She's like, "No, nah, man, I gotta go. I'm pregnant. I don't know if it's boy or girl. I don't want to be here anymore. Can you take me? Can you save me? Can you get me out of here?" So. You know, Gilly was a survivor from the start, and she may be a little dim-witted for south of the wall, but she knew the wildlings were coming. She knew that that wasn't an owl. She knew what that meant, Um, and there was going to be some sort of an issue.
3: Yeah, I mean, she's not dim-witted. She's just, you know, she's, uh, she's street smart. Well... She knew that the wildlings were coming when she heard the owls. Her uh, skills lie, you know, like outside of books and reading and all this other stuff.
2: But then as she learns how to read, we prove that she's actually really good at finding information.
3: (laughs) Her and Sam are just finding all these little like footnotes, all this stuff. Oh, by the way, here's something else important that happened. Right. (laughs) Weird. The other note I had was Baelish's uh, talk to young Robin. His line about how, you know, death, you know, don't think about your death. Think Like, just live your life and think about how you live. He said some people die in their bed. Some people die in something, he said. And some people die squatting over their chamber pots.
2: <laughs> nice foreshadowing.
3: Nice foreshadowing. I can't remember exactly what he said, but I think he foreshadows some other deaths. Does someone else die in bed? Shay. Shay dies in bed. Some die squatting over their chamber pot. And then there was something else.
2: Did he say dies on their knees?
3: <laughs>
2: begging for their life.
3: Some people die begging for their life, but I did like the little talk he's giving him, like a pep talk, you know, like, "Oh, the world's dangerous now, now get out there," you know, and he gives him the the pound of the butt, you know. Yeah,
2: <laughs> he does. I just enjoyed it. Um, speaking of Littlefinger, I have a question for you. Do you think that Littlefinger is Sansa's greatest influence?
3: If he's not her greatest influence, he's definitely up there like top two or three I'm because right now I'm trying to think of who else has influenced her Cersei Ramsey in a horrible horrible way I mean you know the first well I don't know how old they are in the mo- in the show but in the books you know she's what 14 15 so the first 15 years of her life are her parents right or whatever and then you know Cersei Baelish Olenna Olenna
2: I not much but
3: right yeah, I'd say he definitely helped uh, kind of like put like put the cherry on top, you know, with her learning, you know, he, uh, he taught her the stuff that her parents didn't and couldn't mm-hmm. about life and treachery and all that other stuff.
2: I think that she learned how to use her gender as a weapon from Cersei, but she learned how to play a long game really well with Littlefinger. And when you combine both of those with the honor that she learned from Ned, I think that that really kind of shows who she is now as a character going into the eighth season and i think that she is probably best equipped
3: to deal with adversity
2: to not only deal with adversity but i think she is best equipped to even possibly lead westeros
3: you think sansa is going to be on the iron throne or will or will there be an iron throne
2: yeah i don't i don't know that there is going to be a who's going to be on the iron throne conclusion to this story I, i i'm not sure that that's that's not the game anymore, but I think that given the characters and everything that they've gone through, Sansa is probably in the top three of characters that will be left standing at the end of all of this.
3: I think it's extremely likely that she's still standing at the end because of all that she's been through.
2: Right. And she'll make everybody clothes.
3: <laughs> she'll uh, sew up a bunch of stuff.
2: Yeah. She'll have she'll have nice armor for everybody uh, when the Night King comes. That's a good point. I don't know. It's just, yeah. I like her character is definitely one that has come one of the longest ways. Lastly, I wanted to talk just a little bit about Missandei and Grey Worm and just kind of the start of their relationship.
3: <laughs> and the weird girl talk between her and Daenerys.
2: Well, I thought that that was really, you know, it, who else are you going to ask that question to? I mean, Missandei seems to know everything about everything that's going on in that part of the world. Mm-hmm. And... If Daenerys wants to know the answer to that question, she asked the right person. I mean, that's that's who you ask. <laughs> you know, you're like, hey, um, what do you know about the Unsullied? What do you know about?
3: How do they castrate them? Haven't you ever been curious about it? And she says, oh, of course. <laughs> who um, who hasn't but wanted it, to know?
2: But it's it's weird. Daenerys just thinks that because they don't have their genitals, that they have that they don't have desire. Right. You know, it. I, I don't know if that's immaturity on her part or if that's just what everybody thinks about desire to begin with. But I love that Missinde knows that you don't need your genitals to have desire because her genitals have been used for other purposes her entire life. And she's never once desired anything mm-hmm. in a physical manner. But she does understand emotion and she does understand that she cares for Grey Worm despite the fact that she doesn't want to be touched and she doesn't want anybody to touch her you know I, her and Grey Worm have a lot more in common than I think anybody gives credit
3: they have a, a ton in common and watching their relationship kind of uh, flourish is uh, interesting at the least you know him looking at her and them having that little talk and then you know later on we know what happens and you know it's just kind of interesting to watch but you're right they do have a ton in common
2: Yeah, they're both damaged, but they're not so irreparably damaged that they can't come back together or they can't move on or evolve or um, uh, grow.
3: They They found each other.
2: I like their relationship. They're mm-hmm. one of my favorite relationships. And I love it that Daenerys is like all kinds of in, in this relationship. She's like, so what happened? So what <laughs> is happening? You know, every time you see a little scene between Daenerys and Missandei having their girl talk. And this is the first time that they've ever tried girl talk. Right. And and it gets easier and better as the seasons progress.
3: And And uh, Daenerys is even doing her hair as they're chatting.
2: I think that that was wonderful, too. It shows that Daenerys is not somebody who thinks that she's above everybody else. You know, she cares for her people. She considers her people her friends and her loved ones and her family. And that was a very caring moment.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure.
2: So, anyways, that's all I have. Do you have anything else?
3: No, I think we covered all that we could cover.
2: Okay, so we are going to take a little break and we will be back with our news and Dragon's Breath.
0: Oh, baby, there ain't no mountain high
2: And we're back, so we are going to have Jason take it away with the news. Take it away, boys! Hey,
4: everybody! Welcome to Notes from the Citadel. I'm Jason, and I'm Mr. Blog. And here we go. So, what's your <laughs> sigil, by the way?
5: Oh, do we have? We're supposed to have a sigil. I don't oh.
4: know.
5: <laughs> oh, I, I think I think at this point, um, I'm going to go ahead and go with a, a big old a big old chicken. <laughs>
4: <laughs> we were just talking about chickens yeah no I, explain I, I, that I, a little you know, bit because i don't think oh, everyone okay knows. for
5: that's true for those of you who don't know uh it, it, beginning this year early in the spring i started raising some chickens i currently have a little flock of seven uh, and i talk about them a lot to, to people who know me and it's kind of ridiculous now that i've become this weird chicken guy when i was never a chicken guy before but boy oh boy i've got the best eggs right now so uh that would have to be my cool. kind maybe a Cock, maybe i can go with a cock <laughs> poppycock instead of a pop- poppycock there you go as opposed to a, a chicken i guess that would be the best schedule nice here we lay eggs I don't <laughs> yeah
4: <laughs> okay uh, let's see first on the list today george rr R. martin's fire and blood came out i think on november 20th this is a history of house targaryen i think it was meant to be one book but of course it got split into two parts <laughs> that's what he says anyway um so the first part came out it's apparently written like a history book rather than like a novel it's oh. been compared to tolkien's silmarillion okay it covers the history of uh westeros from aegon's conquest up to and through the regency of aegon 3 aegon the third targaryen i think So it's getting kind of mixed reviews. Some are saying it's dry and self-indulgent others that it's quote, a masterpiece of popular historical fiction and the best song of ice and
5: fire book in 18 years. So quite, Oh wow. Quite the gamut there. Yeah. When you mentioned the Cimmerillion that my first thought was that first option you said,
4: yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely (laughs) more like a history book and I think some people love that, you know? Sure. Yeah. But it's not written from a personal emotional point of view potentially are, so you're are you not planning to read that
5: oh my goodness no no <laughs> no I, ha- I have no interest in that I mean you know the for, for those that are really going for that deep dive by all you know I think that's awesome that it's there and um, as any obsessive fan would be happy to have something like that that's really cool me I'm not quite at that point right now where I want to dig that deep with it but um,
4: I wonder who if knows Kristen will yeah Okay, well, for those of you who want that, it's there. Love to hear what you guys think about it. Next, cool. HBO confirmed on Wednesday that it's going to be releasing a Game of Thrones reunion episode that will have actors whose characters are long gone, like Sean Bean, who played Ned Stark. Yeah. And there's a rumor that Jason Momoa might be involved in that. Did you hear cool. about that?
5: I did hear about this, but I, it, my understanding is that it's only going to be in the box set. Right? That's right.
4: So you yeah. have to buy the box set, which is going to be available sometime next year following the series finale. It was filmed in Belfast earlier this year, hosted by Conan O'Brien. Oh, cool. Um, but yeah, it's just, I guess, a special feature. That'd be great, though, to see all those guys back together. Well,
5: I am I feel fairly certain that I will end up getting the box set. Um, I do always love collecting you know, certain series and that kind of thing. But with game of Thrones, I only bought the first season. Why? And for some reason I thought, well, I kind of knew it had an expiration date yeah, built in. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and wait and get the box because I did that with lost for instance. And I love my lost box set. Yeah.
4: And if it's you like, buy well, the f- each, each season, they come out with new
5: versions all the time with new extra features. And I'm very happy to have the version that I have because I do have the original Blu-ray set. Season one, that was still had the head of George W. Bush, that was used. Oh yeah, pikes yeah. Pikes, nice. That they recalled all of those. I still have that set. <laughs> Not that I care about that, but it's just like, well, it's a collector's know, item. It's a collector's <laughs> item, I guess. Yeah, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll definitely get the box.
4: Yeah, so. I probably will too. That that's one series. I mean, it's the best show ever made. So, um, pretty much close to it. But uh, ah, Taxi. What <laughs> Taxi's damn good. Uh, what was I going to say about that? Oh, I bet you, too, that it'll pop up somewhere else, too. You know? Oh,
5: it'll be on YouTube within three minutes of the release. <laughs> uh,
4: next, HBO and Hasbro are releasing a new Game of Thrones-themed Monopoly game. Really? Yeah. So it's got <laughs> the board, the tokens, the money, and the game pieces are derived directly from the show. Nice. I call dibs on the flayed man
5: ew god okay <laughs> so i'm going to guess like so so boardwalk and park place i mean boardwalk will have to be the iron throne right or the red keep i don't know how, how they'll go with that but let's see what would be yeah. like the baltic avenue of the the mediterranean let's see the the shitty properties flea bottom yeah <laughs> I'm sure, you know, Winterfell will
4: be in there somewhere. Of course. yeah. Marine will be on there somewhere around the other side of the board.
5: Ooh, interesting. <laughs> Maybe there'll be an Esso section. Yeah, yeah. Split. I you. <laughs> Bravos. The wall. Right. Yeah,
4: that could be pretty cool, actually. Yeah. So it's supposed to hit store shelves on January of 2019 with a suggested retail price of 29.99.
5: Sweet. And then when people get mad in this game, they can either like, you know, set it on fire or, or you know get something dramatic, a little song of ice and fire, maybe right, liquid nitrogen to freeze everything. It'd Chop someone's head off. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Little pewter head rolling on the board. <laughs> yeah, right. Little guillotine. That's the comes dice. With it. Oh the dice. It's Ned's heads.
4: Alright. <laughs> right. So a betting site posted odds for who's going to end up. On the throne, ruling Westeros by the end of the series, Mm. Um, and the top one ones have been John and Daenerys. John with well, right now five to one odds. Daenerys at six to one, but interesting. Bran just beat them out.
5: Bran, yeah.
4: Okay, I don't know why. I Uh, could see that. Could be interesting. It's interesting. I mean. I would like that. Even though Bran got kind of Spock like, I still dig his character a lot. <laughs> Spock like <laughs> <laughs> kind of cold and emotionless, you know.
5: Yeah, 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 yeah. Removed,
4: aloof. Um, so I guess I'll go down the whole list. So Bran, John, Daenerys, the Night King, Arya, Tyrion, Sansa, mm-hmm. Gendry. Well, by the time you get to Gendry, that's sixteen to one odds. Sam Cersei's twenty-five to one. Jamie forty to one. Davos fifty to one.
5: Interest fifty to one. Yeah, that's a, I think the Davos would be a pretty very long, very long, long shot. shot. You never know. Yeah, he wouldn't even want it. You're like what's? Yeah. What am I going <laughs> to do with this? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I'm I'm thinking it's going to be the dragon. <laughs> no, that's interesting. Night King on it. I mean, it will certainly be ridiculously bleak if ending. And it would be kind of amazing in so many ways if it was the Night King that ends yeah, up uh, on the. Throne. I can't
4: see the Night King actually well taking the throne. It, to me, if the Night King wins, that means it's just destruction. Yeah. Everything is frozen, and they're yeah on some ice plateau or something.
5: Yeah, but, yeah, but then I mean, was Cersei on that list? Yeah, she's twenty five okay. to one odd. She's towards the bottom of that is towards the bottom. Yeah, it's interesting. That's funny. Uh, Brand took okay. I can see it. Arya. I mm. No, I don't think so. No, I mean the Gendry one is a fun idea. Um but uh, I don't know there's some legitimacy issues even I think with the whole
4: I mean why do I not rebellion. think Arya? Some people might say why not.
1: Well,
4: she's, sure why not? She's, why not to any of these. She's but. just been so focused on on revenge. It just yeah. it's not because she's a young girl, it's because she's just been so focused on revenge that it, oh,
5: it has nothing to do with her being a young girl. I no, mean, it yeah, just yeah. has everything to do with her. Character. I don't think that's her bag.
4: Mm-hmm. I could almost see Sansa before Arya at this point.
5: I the... can see Arya wanting Sansa instead of her. Like, <laughs> I'll be your bodyguard. Right. I'll be your champion. What are the main knight, dude? Mm-hmm. Why am I forgetting the name? Uh, Kingsguard. Oh, Kingsguard. There we go. <laughs> okay a couple more so let's see
4: hbo set up this really cool new promotional site in anticipation of game of thrones season eight it's called for the throne there's this section called relive the journey that looks back at the journeys of a few characters right now it's Tyrion, Arya, and cersei and it's cool you click on one of the characters and you get you keep on scrolling down and it's like this multimedia retrospective with animations from their history um And then you got quotes from them and then little movies of clips from the show. Plus I think it's like those commentaries that Benioff and Weiss always did at the end. They just like embed those in there. So you can go back and look at those three characters and just have a nice little multimedia experience reliving the history of how they developed throughout the show. That's neat. That's That's really cool. So yeah, I'll put a link for that in the show notes. If you guys want to check that out, if you're hungry for some game of Thrones contents,
5: I will admit, I've never, um, I have yet to really embark on the multimedia experience with any show. Oh, you like the online args, what do they call them? Whatever yeah, I don't, whatever, like, yeah, yeah, the, I don't know what they call, because I, I don't know, because I haven't done it yet. I feel like I'm Lost guy, had a lot of that, where you'd go on and try to- Yeah, yeah, I just want to, like, focus on the show. Now, I liked it when they used to do the Lost pop-up video thing, like on the rerun. Uh-huh. Do you remember that? Yeah, they
4: would just kind of pop little facts up about how things are connected and things like that.
5: Yeah, I dug that. Yeah. If you could do that, like something like that, that'd be really cool where it's just on one screen. Game of of Thrones Thrones would be a good show for that. Wouldn't it? Absolutely. Like just a little pointing, like, remember this guy? He was in season two, blah, blah, blah. You know, that would be fun. This guy screwed this woman's cousin. oh my god oh my goodness it would be like you know if you had like one of those charts with people's pictures and a little red yarn it would look like a serial killer insane yeah. person with all the people who've slept with everybody in that show it would just be an incredible or kill somebody's web of crazy
4: uncle or ruled this guy's uncle was the grandfather of the ruler of such and such
5: oh sure then you have a little circles <laughs> in one family that's all just like intertwined yeah yeah
4: <laughs> <laughs> and then last from Deadline.com, Natalie Dormer, who played Marjorie Tyrell, is starring in a new series called Vivling. It's based on the life of legendary British actor Vivian Leigh. The story oh, follows nice. the highs and lows of the much-loved starlet who conquered Hollywood and give audiences uh-huh. a glimpse into the complex mind of the Gone with the Wind and streetcar named yeah. Desire Star. Dormer has had a busy year. She starred as Sophia in psychological thriller In Darkness, which she co-wrote. I didn't even know about that. That sounds cool. No, me neither. As well as being recently seen on the West End stage in Venus in Fur. And she stars in Icon Productions adaptation of the Simon Winchester bestseller The Professor and the Madman, starring opposite Mel Gibson and Sean Penn.
5: I'm I'm definitely intrigued by the Vivian Lee thing. That, oh, that yeah. That would be... Cool. Yeah, she, yeah, I, I like Natalie Normer a lot too. Yeah, that's very cool because I'm, I love Gone with the Wind. That's one of those, uh, movies that I'm just like, I don't watch it very often because I don't have four hours to sit down.
4: <laughs> I've never seen that. I got to watch that.
5: You really should. Well, whatever. It's, it's, it's a classic. 1939, it is a classic. Yeah. It's dated in so many ways. But, you know, to, to the whole, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn, uh, right. Uh, Tara. I mean, whatever. There's a lot about that movie. It's quite that movie. I favorite. think, you know, if you
4: look at list of the top grossing movies yeah. adjusted for inflation, mm-hmm. it yeah. I think it's at the top or it's near the top anyway. I think so too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. That's it for the news. Thanks again.
5: All right. Awesome. See you guys uh, very soon. Next time. Yeah. Actually, I do think I'll be seeing everybody very soon because I think uh, Kristen has finally talked me into it. Yeah. I think I'm going to be joining her uh, possibly. I think it's next Monday. Can't wait. So we'll see. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Right on, everyone. Talk to you later. Bye.
2: And thank you to our Archmaesters of the Citadel with your news break. Uh, I'm sure it was filled with wonder and splendor, and I'll never listen to it, but I might skip through it just because I like the sounds of your voices, and I miss you guys. So now we're on to our dragon's breath. (laughs)
3: Jeffrey Lab wrote, you can win the duel but lose your life when the duel is trial by combat. R.I.P. Viper.
2: Yes, R.I.P. indeed. Charles Richard Patterson says, like Inigo Montoya, gone horribly wrong.
3: From Sarah Christine, me watching the fight, Oberyn better chill, Oberyn don't get too cocky, Oberyn don't turn your back, squish.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That that was basically me as well, Sarah. Deanne Rogers Tanksley says, crushing, literally and figuratively.
3: Laura Willie Swink said, I remember my reaction being exactly like Ilaria Sands. I put my hand up in front of my face and screamed out in sheer terror, shock, and anger. You and Kristen both, don't worry. <laughs>
2: uh, Laura, me too. Me too, girlfriend. Jeff Allen writes, even having read the books, I didn't expect to see that.
3: <laughs> Avelino Rocino said, OMG, I nearly pulled the TV off the wall mount at the end of this episode. This and The Red Wedding are two episodes I have a hard time rewatching. I watched this episode again last night and turned it off when the Viper started monologuing. You know, I agree. I wish we had just turned it off, but we couldn't. You know, for you know, for for the sake of the fans and the podcast, we had to go through. Right. We we had to watch it for you guys. It was
2: for the rewatch, like you know, like for the watch. For the watch. For the rewatch.
3: For the rewatch. Ooh, that
2: could be our house words too.
3: <laughs> for the rewatch.
2: <laughs> uh, thank you for your feedback. We're gonna move on to voicemails. Our first one is from Steve Brown.
0: Hi, Kristen and guest host. This is Steve. With a couple of notes on uh, the mountain and the viper, just a, a few short things here. It was very romantic, this this romance or uh, between Grey Worm and of Miss uh, Missend, I don't know how to say her name. Um, it's just really sweet that little romance they kind of got going there. Uh, don't know where it's gonna go, but it's it's pretty nice. Um, I I thought it was great. Aria laughing at uh, when she heard about her aunt's passing, knowing that uh, or thinking that. Uh, the hound is not going to get his payday. And was that a, a macabre kind of homage to the princess bride, the way Oberon kept repeating the the phrase uh, yep. to the mountain, uh, you raped her, you murdered her, say it, confess, and then he just kept repeating it over and over again. It just reminded me so much of that, that uh, my name is Inigo Montoya, you killed my <laughs> father, prepared to die. Um, so I, as... as Like I said, as as disgusting and and violent as the scene is, it had this macabre kind of amusement uh, to it for me. So, can't wait to hear what you guys think.
2: Thank you, Steve. Yeah, that's, uh, that's exactly what it is. It was a horrible, macabre version of My Name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die.
3: Yes, excellent. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, Steve is somebody that I don't think has watched the entire show, but he doesn't care about spoilers. So he listens to the podcast and he watches at the same time. So it's really fun to kind of hear his voicemails from time to time because um, actually we hear his voicemails every week. So that's I love that. Um, so because he's like, I can't wait to see where Missinde and Grey Worm's mm-hmm. relationship goes. hmm. So thank you, Steve, for your feedback. Um, I look forward to your email or to your voicemail every week. And our next voicemail is from another um, person that we hear from every week. And I just look forward to your insight just as much as Arch Maester Rennie.
1: Hello. I have three comments on this episode. The first is picking up on my comments on the last episode about Sansa. So in this episode, she takes her first step into political maneuvering and her first step toward her own liberation when she reveals her true identity to the Lords of the Vale and then tells a deliberately constructed lie about what happened to Lysa. I think it's significant that one of the Lords of the Vale is actually a woman, Lady Wainwood, because here we have an example of a woman who has power which is what Sansa will eventually become, although it's still a long road for her to get there. My second comment is about couples. Of all the couples I root for in the series, Missandei and Grey Worm are the ones I most hope for a happy ending for. I think they might actually be able to have it. Uh, Sam and Gilly would be my second favorites. Again, they may possibly be able to have it, unlike some other couples. And my third comment on the episode is about the fight between the mountain and the viper. And my comment is just, no, 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 no. That's all.
3: We, uh, all, we all had that reaction
2: yeah i think every single one of us had the same no 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 please no god no yeah we were just talking the other day about um characters that we would so like to bring back and um we came across uh like a question and it said who would you want to bring back ned stark Khal Drogo, ygritte or ober martell and I think every single one of us, except one of us in the room, said Oberyn Martell. Mm-hmm. And you know, for me, it was there was two two schools of thought there. One is that Oberyn Martell's death I don't think would have um, affected the storyline all that much because Tywin I think would have still found a way to condemn Tyrion. Um, Cersei would have tried to make it happen. Jamie probably still would have tried. Uh, or had to smuggle um, Tyrion out of town because he would have been um, already shaded as a Kingslayer, or, a, yeah, a Kingslayer and a Kinslayer no matter what. Um, or, wait, Regicide.
3: Regicide, Kingslayer. I mean, it's still a Kingslayer and a Kinslayer. Right. But Tywin would have found a way to, like, send someone, like, poison him or send something and right. kill him. So Jamie would have tried to save him. Right. I believe.
2: I mean, and so the other three, the other three, I think would have um, would have changed too much of of the story to where it is now. But out of all of them, out of all out of all those characters, Oberyn is who I would most want to see on my side fighting the Night King and the Army and the Dead.
3: Yes, very especially, much
2: so. I mean, especially after seeing him with the spears, I think he could have. It could have been fantastic watching watching him be a part of the narrative in season 8. So, I I'm he's definitely a presence that I miss.
3: I I just definitely want to see him fight some more and this is really the only time you ever see it.
2: Yeah, I know. We only see him really have sex, like a lot of sex.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and a little bit of fighting.
2: And a little bit of fighting. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody.
3: Thanks, everybody.
2: Thank you so much today for co-hosting this week for the past two episodes. Um, I have had so much fun having you on the show and watching and taking notes and just bantering back and forth. This is basically our life, except we recorded it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, The next episode we will be covering, Season 4, Episode 9, Watchers on the Wall. Give it a watch. Send us your thoughts. Our guest host will be Anwen from New Zealand. I'm very, very excited to record the next two episodes with her. Um, So if you want to say hi to her, go ahead and send us a message, send us a voicemail, or send us some feedback. And here is how you can do it.
3: If you'd like to write in or record a message and send it in, you can email us at dragons at podcastica.com.
2: Check out our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash housepodcastica. Or you can check out our webpage at housepodcastica.com.
3: We're also on Twitter and Instagram at housepodcastica.
2: And be sure to check out the other great podcasts at podcastica.com. Like my other podcast, Lost Revisited, we have to go back with my friend Ben Beck. Uh, that is a really fun podcast. We are closing out season one right now, and I highly recommend checking it out if you are a fan of Lost. We also cover uh, the show Manifest, which I have been personally enjoying all season long so far. Uh, and Walking Dead cast is closing out the first half of season nine uh before the winter break that just ended actually as of this recording that ended last night so watching last night's walking dead and then today's mountain and the viper i'm done i'm done with emotional <laughs> television just to let you know
3: yeah we'll go watch so- something dumb
2: <laughs> i'm gonna go watch eight episodes of brooklyn 99 and feel better <laughs> about life <laughs> <laughs> special thanks to break of reality for our new intro music if you want to check them out you can do so on youtube or on their website breakofreality.com thanks to kirk manley for our podcast art and ben beck for website design kirk's work can be checked out on his website studiokm.com ben beck can be found at next level cersei the mountain the night king
3: you're on Greyjoy.
2: Wendy Wendy Ott Eppers. Eppers.